For AL.com, I'm Ben Flanagan. This is Outbreak Alabama, stories from a pandemic. The Department of Public Health, Dr. Landers, Dr. Fauci told me yesterday that he understands Governor Ivey's frustration, but that her message is not what he would say. What do you think about her remarks that the unvaccinated folks are letting us down? Well, I think the most important message that we can deliver right now in Alabama is that we're at a critical juncture, but we as Alabamians have the capability within our own state and within our own communities to return to a level of normalcy if we will just increase our vaccination rates. And Today we hear from Assistant State Health Officer Dr. Karen Landers with the Alabama Department of Public Health to discuss several issues related to COVID-19, the vaccine, and the Delta variant, which continues to run rampant in Alabama. First, some new facts, as reported by AL.com's Ramsey Archibald. For the first time in more than five months, Alabama hospitals are treating more than 1,000 people for COVID-19. It's the first time Alabama has crossed the 1,000 COVID inpatient mark since February 17th, according to Ramsey's reporting. Hospitalizations have increased by more than 500% since just before the 4th of July holiday. And the Alabama Department of Public Health confirmed that the vast majority of Alabama COVID hospitalizations are among unvaccinated people. This week, Dr. Karen Landers appeared on CNN when anchor Jake Tapper pressed her about Alabama's low vaccination rate. I spoke to Dr. Landers about misinformation as one of the leading causes of people refusing to get vaccinated, why schools should require children to wear masks this fall, why young people are disproportionately refusing the vaccine, and what concerns her the most about the contagious Delta variant. Dr. Landers, you appeared on CNN with Jake Tapper this week where you discussed the state's low vaccination rate. You and others in public health have been loud and clear in that we're at a critical moment, some doctors even calling it an emergency, but that we can return to a level of normalcy if we just increase our vaccination rates and mitigation efforts. But Despite the best efforts so far, the state has really struggled. If that message and the science are so loud and clear, how can we convince people to do that? I think that's a huge challenge right now. Again, as a physician of many years' experience, what I remind people, it is my job, both as a physician and as a public health officer, to provide the best science-based information that I can to each and every patient. And we're really speaking to the entire state of Alabama as patients of the Alabama Department of Public Health, because that's what we do. We promote and protect the health of the citizens of Alabama. Certainly, I've had patients decline my medical advice before, but that still does not prevent me from carrying out my responsibility, again, as a physician. And that is to give my patients sound scientific medical advice that will improve their health and hopefully save their lives. So I think the challenge here is that persons are receiving information from sources that do not, first of all, have their best interest at heart. Frankly, I mean, we as physicians of the state of Alabama, I mean, we absolutely are trying to protect citizens of Alabama. We're trying to save people's lives. So I think that information should be coming from people who have training, have knowledge, have experience. And then in addition, the ongoing, um, I, I really would say, spread of really 
information that is damaging to people's health and well-being about the vaccine. Again, that information coming from people who do not have knowledge of this vaccine in terms of development, in terms of the way vaccines work, in terms of the approval process. But again, sowing misinformation that is hurting people. And that is, to me, one of the hardest things right here is I do not want to see people harmed for for receiving misinformation that, again, subsequently causes them pain and suffering because they took the wrong advice. Right. And it just seems like misinformation is just it's at the forefront of, of why there is just such a low vaccination rate, not just in Alabama, but where there are low vaccination rates. How can this state fix the problem with misinformation that is obviously contributing to that? What role can the Department of Public Health play in it? Well, certainly, as I have said many times, I think many people have seen me on media throughout this entire pandemic. My goal And my responsibility is to provide correct medical advice. Certainly the department has been out every day doing that. I know that I've certainly appeared on media outlets throughout the state of Alabama, as well as even uh, nationally regarding this particular subject. You know, I think what is left here is really continuing the efforts of other groups that work with the Alabama Department of Public Health. I think the Medical Association of the state of Alabama continues to do a great job reaching out to our members with more information, more fact-based information that physicians can use with their patients. Certainly physicians have looked at and studied information on COVID, but let's say, for example, uh, you are a primary care pediatrician. I mean, yes, you're well-versed in COVID, but you also have patients with other illnesses that you see all day long. So for the medical association to be able to provide you additional facts, additional information, maybe just even in a bullet point type uh, presentation, or let's say, for example, you're a cardiologist and you see the complications of COVID, but you also see other persons with cardiovascular problems every day. You might need more information about the general basic science, if you will, behind the vaccine. Again, just to be able to say, okay, I've read a couple of articles, but I I don't have time to uh, read every article that comes out every day or even a portion of those. So uh, these are the points that are coming from the Medical Association. These are the points that are coming from the Alabama Department of Public Health. And I really think just continuing to support our medical community in its fight against COVID. Our medical community wants to take care of all patients, not just patients with COVID-19. We need to get our COVID-19 down so we can continue to provide high quality care to all patients. I've seen people say things like, I've already had COVID and now I'm fine, so I don't need the vaccine. Or I know someone who got the vaccine and they still got COVID after getting it. So that's proof it doesn't work. I mean, it's things like this, I think, that are at the root of some of the the misinformation issues that we're having. Like with those two examples, like, could you clear that up? Like that having COVID doesn't give you lifetime immunity and contracting COVID after getting vaccinated does not mean the vaccine isn't effective? Certainly. I think to address the first question, I mean, we know that when people get COVID, that they have some immunity for a period of time. And again, that level of immunity can vary 
from one person to the next. Again, not everyone's immune system reacts the same way. But what we do know, again, is that we have had a number of cases of reinfection uh, in the state of Alabama. And certainly uh, those persons have had COVID and, and contracted it again. And we also know that from some scientific data, again, I go back to the data, I go back to the studies. The scientific studies show that if you follow these patients along who have had COVID, after several months, uh, their immunity wanes. But also, if you look at some data that, that is in persons who've had COVID but also have received the vaccine, that their ability to mount an immune response is extremely high because they got vaccinated after they had COVID. So again, there's science on both uh, ends of that. And we really have to remind people that the disease does not confer long-term immunity and that the durability of the immunity, and by that I mean how long that immunity can last after natural infection versus vaccine, persons who have had the disease do not have the durability, do not have the long-term ability to mount an immune response as much as those that have been vaccinated. So again, there's just science behind it. We are learning every day. We're continuing to see more information on this. There are many experts in the field speaking out on this. And again, these are people that have training, that have background uh, in the science, who have worked in other infectious disease situations, who have worked in the field of vaccinology. So again, providing that information and having something to back that up. There's still a lot we don't know. Uh, and then to answer your second question, I know Dr. Harris spoke to that this morning. And of course, as many people know, Dr. Harris is also an infectious disease specialist, so brings a significant depth to the discussion of this subject. Uh, we know if we look at the effectiveness of vaccine, again, looking at the data when the vaccine was approved, some of the data indicated that with the mRNA vaccines, uh, Pfizer and Moderna, we had about 94-95% protection in the population that was studied. With Johnson & Johnson, it was a little lower, but still good protection. Practically speaking, now that we have had, again, millions of doses of vaccine given, I mean, in Alabama, more than three and a half million doses of vaccine given, uh, we see that we do have some vaccine breakthrough. And we expected that. Again, if a vaccine is 95% effective, that means 5% of people you know, are going to get uh, the infection. Uh, we know that some people's immune systems, same thing. If you are a person with immunosuppressive conditions, other underlying significant medical conditions that will affect your immune system, that you may not respond as well to the vaccine as an otherwise healthy person. However, the data, again, still shows this, and it shows this in Alabama. We see that we have fewer hospitalizations among people who have been vaccinated, even if they have vaccine breakthrough. We have fewer severe illnesses among people who have been vaccinated, and we have fewer deaths among the fully vaccinated. So again, data, science, information from persons who work in this field and do this type of work and see these kinds of outcomes. And that's really my plea to all Alabamians. If you look at the outcomes of COVID-19 in persons who have been fully vaccinated, and then you look at the outcomes of COVID-19, persons who haven't been vaccinated, the persons who have not been vaccinated right now are making up almost all of the hospitalizations that we have. And I don't want to see anyone die from this disease that I think 
could be significantly reduced or prevented by taking a vaccine. And that's what keeps me going here every day is, you know, I'm just trying to save lives. I mean, that's what we in the Alabama Department of Public Health are trying to do. Get this vaccine out there. Keep people from dying. Keep people from being hospitalized and keep people from having these severe complications of COVID, such as the long COVID, which can be seen even in children. We'll be right back. So you told Jake Tapper that the data shows that it's younger people who are disproportionately refusing the COVID-19 vaccines, people who perceive that they're younger and healthier and therefore do not need the vaccine, or they continue to buy into the misinformation that we've discussed. What does the data show in terms of how the Delta variant and COVID are impacting that age bracket lately? Well, again, as Dr. Harris mentioned this morning, and we, as we all know, we can't sequence every specimen in the state of Alabama, but we know that just uh, UAB, for example, uh, one of the laboratories there that, that does some sequencing had almost all their specimens that they sequenced just recently were Delta. And we know that Delta, again, is more contagious. And when it's more contagious, that means there are more people that are going to contract this. And for every person that contracts COVID, keep in mind, that that person can infect and probably does infect, you know, several other people. Again, data varies on that. I've seen just with the SARS-CoV-2, two to five other persons may be infected from a person who has SARS-CoV-2 without that person even knowing they've transmitted it. And again, with Delta, you know, we could be looking well above five people being infected by someone uh, with this variant. So what we're seeing is, again, just more disease. When you see more disease, even in younger persons, you're going to see more hospitalizations and potentially more severe outcomes. Now, I I do think that the data is still being looked at in terms of how severe the Delta variant can be. I know we've seen some information that indicates that it certainly can be a more severe illness. I would like to see more data on that. Again, I make my decisions and recommendations based upon the best scientific data that I have. But the reality of it is still leading to more hospitalizations and certainly potentially more complications from that. What I hope people are starting to hear, and again, I said this a couple of weeks ago, is really whether you're infected with the variant or whether you're infected with SARS-CoV-2 that we saw before we had the variants to emerge, we still have data to indicate that the vaccines are effective and will reduce your chance of contracting this disease. So, you know, we're now at a point that we have a very contagious variant out here, that we have something that, again, persons can contract it and infect other people around them. And I don't think anyone wants to intentionally cause disease in another person. I think this is something we have to think about. If we have COVID, then we can infect other people and cause them to have COVID. And we wouldn't even know we infected them, but we could harm these people. None of us wants to do that. Alabamians aren't like that. You know, we want to take care of our citizens. We want to take care of our families and our loved ones. We don't want to hurt other people. And, And this is what I hope people can understand is that, When you're talking about getting this disease, not only are you 
running the risk of having your own problems, but running the risk of infecting other people who really didn't really realize that they were around you, that, you know, you caused them to have this infection and, and they could have a poor outcome. So again, just, just trying to help people see that um, this is a really severe variant. And every time someone's infected, it also gives not only an opportunity to, to infect other people, but also it gives that virus an opportunity to do something with its own genetic material that makes it able to escape the ability of the body to fight off that infection and or the ability of the vaccine. So we're, we're going to get another variant out there. I hope it won't be called the Alabama variant. I, I really worry about that because viruses mutate. They take these opportunities and we don't need to give this virus this opportunity. This virus does not deserve another opportunity to infect another Alabamian. I want to ask you about children. We are seeing widespread recommendations to require masks in schools this fall, regardless of vaccination status, including reportedly from the CDC this week. Is that in line with the Alabama Department of Public Health? Should schools require masks this fall? The Alabama Department of Public Health follows the guidance of the CDC, and we do expect that CDC is going to issue some additional guidance today. I believe it's at 2 o'clock Central Time. Uh, we do expect absolutely in Alabama to follow the recommendations of CDC, and that will be the recommendation uh, of the Alabama Department of Public Health. And keep in mind that the American Academy of Pediatrics has discussed this. Uh, the Alabama chapter of the American Academy of Pediatrics has also put out information on this. Uh, you know, we're pediatricians. There are over 60,000 of us that are members of the American Academy of Pediatrics. And there are, again, quite a number of pediatricians in the state of Alabama. Again, I'm very proud to be a, a member of the Alabama chapter of the American Academy and just absolutely support their recommendation as well to do this because we want to protect children. Keep in mind, persons under 12 years of age don't have an opportunity to be vaccinated. And we just need to protect children. Schools did a great job last year when there was universal masking and schools were following the other mitigation standards. Uh, they absolutely did a wonderful job. Uh, subsequently, there has been some data to show that if you have, again, data, both kids and kids in a classroom and, and they're masked and they're maintaining their three feet of social distance, again, to the extent possible. But if both persons are masked, then you're really not having a situation of transmission of COVID. And CDC has actually allowed that as an exception to contacts. Again, if, if everybody's masked in the classroom and there's three feet of distance uh, between the students, then really you're not going to uh, put those kids at home for home quarantine if they are exposed to COVID as long as they're asymptomatic. I mean, I think that's huge. And again, I think it's data-driven. And I also think that this is just a way to protect our children. I mean, I don't really enjoy specifically wearing masks, although, you know, I, I do it because I'm a physician that also works in TB control. Uh, but it's something that we just have to do now. We have to protect our children and I'm a mother, you know, my children are grown, uh, but I understand where parents are coming from here. And I know that parents want their children protected. They want their kids back at school. They want their kids in a safe learning environment. I spoke to Dr. Michael Sag at UAB, who told me children are more at risk with Delta variant just by virtue of the variant being more contagious in general. We've reported on children who are currently hospitalized in Alabama and surrounding states. What is your biggest concern 
as it relates to children and COVID right now, specifically with the Delta variant running rampant? Well, absolutely. I have tremendous respect for Dr. Sag. I mean, what a voice for infectious diseases, what a voice for the state of Alabama, someone that I greatly admire. But I believe that Dr. Sag's statement is the spot on, and that is just more kids getting COVID, uh, more kids being at risk for complications of COVID, more kids being hospitalized from COVID, and the potential to lose children to this virus. I mean, I I believe the data nationally, uh, uh, well over 300 children, again, that's every child's life is precious, and we don't want to lose any children in the state of Alabama to a disease that we can have so much impact in reducing or preventing. It really touches my heart and breaks my heart to think that we're going to lose more children in the United States and that we could lose children in the state of Alabama to this deadly virus. Finally, Dr. Landers, I wonder in your years working in public health, can you recall a moment like this where such an alarming rate of Americans or people in Alabama have refused a potentially life-saving vaccine, or basically rejected medical science in this manner. Is this unprecedented for you? For me, I have not seen this uh, in, again, my many years as a physician. I graduated from medical school in 1977, so I've been a doctor for a long time and obviously did my residency training and uh, worked in private practice and then came to public health. Now, I've not seen this happen. You know, again, certainly I've had instances where people might decline uh, medical advice or might decline a vaccine or, you know, might decline some, you know, preventive measure. But the reality of this particular situation is is something that, that I have not seen before. And it's very, very disturbing because really we're just talking about medical advice here. I mean, I've, as I said, I've had some people to decline what I recommended, but certainly not to this level. And we are talking about life-saving and life-altering situations here. But one thing I would like to point out, I am probably one of the few physicians still practicing medicine that has ever seen a case of measles. Again, measles largely went away prior to my career, and I I was certainly able to see a few cases at the end of that. And people think of measles as just another childhood disease. What they don't realize is that measles can have severe complications, can lead to death, and can lead to some long-term neurologic problems, even in people who survive. You know, likewise, when I was a young doctor, we saw, for example, bacterial illnesses such as haemophilus-type B, Haemophilus influenza type B. I mean, it was a very, very prevalent bacterial pathogen and also pneumococcal pathogens, again, extremely prevalent uh, in my career. And I saw some very severe outcomes. We just don't see those diseases almost at all anymore as a result of these vaccines that have come out against uh, pneumococcal subtypes and also the Haemophilus influenza type B. Furthermore, chickenpox, I mean, we're getting to the point that uh, people don't see chickenpox anymore. And again, while people might say, oh, well, chickenpox is just a disease of childhood. You know, in my career, I saw extremely severe outbreaks, extremely severe diseases, extremely severe situations with chickenpox. You know, I saw some children with necrotizing fasciitis. I mean, you just don't normally see that, but saw that a few times. Uh, in my career and certainly in my time as a resident uh, from chickenpox. And again, chickenpox can also lead to neurologic diseases and neurologic complications and 
you know, coupled with uh, actually, you know, persons taking aspirin a number of years ago with chickenpox developing a neurologic uh, syndrome called RISE syndrome. Again, you know, these are things that I saw go away in my career. And now to think of myself in the twilight of my career, and that's just a reality based upon age, to see something that is not being considered seriously and not be considered as a disease that certainly we don't completely understand the full scope of, but we know that persons can have long-term consequences and we're seeing that. I mean, we're 18 months into this and we're seeing these problems continue to occur in people that have had COVID. So it, it is really disturbing, it's distressing, but at the same time, it's a motivator for me. It's literally a motivator to say that I can't give up, I can't give in. I have to continue to provide factual medical information, the same information that I provide to my own family, the same information I provide to my own children, who by the way are vaccinated, and just to be able to say please to the citizens of Alabama, listen to the scientifically based facts, listen to people such as Dr. Sag and Dr. Marat. So just to name two people, again, that I have great admiration for. You know, these are world-renowned infectious disease specialists, and they have the best interest of the citizens of Alabama at heart, as do all of us who are working in this field. Dr. Landers, thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you. Good to talk with you. If you or anyone you know is affected by COVID and want to share your story, please email bflanagan at al.com. That's B-F-L-A-N-A-G-A-N at al.com. For all of our coverage on the outbreak and how it continues to impact Alabama, visit al.com slash coronavirus. And if you like the show, please rate us and write a review. Thank you for listening.